Welcome back to the Expert Hour. In our last episode, we spoke to Dr. Girija Kaimal, Associate Professor in the PhD program in Creative Arts Therapies at the Drexel University College of Nursing and Health Professions and Assistant Dean for Special Research Initiatives. She spoke about art and its therapeutic uses and we had an amazing response to the podcast. We were also flooded with questions from people wanting to know more. So we have Girija with us once again, this time to answer some very specific questions on art therapy. It's great to have you back on this podcast, Girja. I'm eagerly looking forward to listen to what you have to share with us today. Thank you so much, Archana. I'm so honored and uh, grateful for the interest in this topic. I've always received a very warm welcome for this work in India. So I'm really, really happy to come back, talk more with you. Perfect. So we have three very specific questions. In fact, all three of them have come in to us from listeners. I'm okay. going to shoot them at you one by one. Okay. In the previous podcast, you referred to a war veteran who went silent during an art therapy session with you. When he did paint, did his work express his anguish over what he had seen and experienced during the war? Or what did he actually do? We would like to know a little more on this. So as I had mentioned, art therapy has strong roots and connections with war, wartime and the military. And the main reason for that is connected to the trauma of trauma and violence of war. Trauma is, you know, it's not unique to the military. It, it affects all of us. It can affect anyone going through a life or death threatening situation. And that happens all over the world, unfortunately, in a range of situations, including abuse, physical violence, natural calamities, all these are traumatic experiences. Traumatic experiences broadly in our brain, they, they are so overwhelming, they tend to get encoded in a very scattered way. So very often, we might not even remember the traumatic experience. It gets um, sort of coded as a sight, a sort of visual or a sound or a smell or a specific sort of physical reaction. These we refer to as triggers. So what will happen is very often when we encounter then a similar sound or visual, we get flooded with memories of that traumatic event. Because it's sort of scattered in the brain, it becomes very hard to name it. It becomes very hard to talk about it. Traditional talk-based therapies are often not very effective with people who've been through traumatic experiences. Veterans as well as service members struggle with very much the same things that anyone who's been through trauma will uh, experience. So to go silent is actually not unusual at all. When we offer someone who's been through such trauma other means to express themselves through drawing, through uh, music or to dance or drama, poetry, we offer them a way, a metaphor and some distance to speak to this experience. So instead of saying, you know, Oscar Wilde has a quote, I don't know if I mentioned this last time, you know, give a man a mask no, no. and he'll tell you the truth. It's the <laughs> same idea. You give some distance and the arts give us that distance. In this case, it was really about being able to share things for which we don't have words. We have a study actually ongoing with veterans of the Gulf War in mm. 1991, if you remember. Yes. That's a neglected group that tends to not get a lot of attention because Gulf War illness is this mystery illness related to toxicity. And when we had veterans create 
collage drawings out of that, they ended up either being able to express the most dominant and challenging aspect. Um, They use the opportunity to integrate a lot of sort of different experiences. So art helps you kind of hold the positive, the negative, the difficult, the uplifting all at the same time. And it helps. And we've had veterans and service members say to us that the art helps integrate and really bring together the scattered sense of self you might feel when you've been through trauma such as that. You're saying what they might have had difficulty expressing or speaking out about an experience, they might be able to express it in a better way through art forms. Exactly right. Yeah. And especially, you know, a lot of our experiences are unconscious experiences. You know, we like to think we are these highly self-led individuals, Mm. but we are really, really led by a lot of our unconscious emotions, our brain processes. And to be able to kind of see our inner processes in visual form is also revelatory to us. You're like, Mm. oh my God, that is what is going on with me. I didn't even realize it. So it helps bring things to consciousness and awareness that you might not even have realized is what you're going through. So it's, you know, I've seen this so many times that the art becomes a mirror and a reflection back to the self. So may I then just ask you if trauma is handled so effectively, or if art works so well as a tool to get uh-huh. people to express or, you know, overcome such traumas, would art also work in issues like anger management, maybe? Absolutely. And I do want to put a caveat here. So I Mm. think there's some real limitations to the benefits of art by ourselves, doing art by ourselves, right? I like to share a home improvement analogy, which is that there's a lot of things we could do around our home. We can do simple things. We can, you know, change a light bulb. We can paint the walls. Mm. But there's things that we really shouldn't do unless we know what we are doing. So Mm. you shouldn't try and do the plumbing and the electrical system if you don't know what you're doing. And it's the same thing, I think, with art. When you are in a vulnerable place, if you are not feeling mentally well, if you're not feeling able to handle challenges, you really need to work with a therapist. You really need to work with someone qualified to support you through the process, right? There's a lot we can do ourselves. And I mean, just engaging in artistic practice Mm. is usually a positive thing. But in cases with trauma, it's very important to work with a specialist because when you engage in artistic practice, you're actually activating a lot of really difficult memories and you need someone to support you through that. So we had a case study we had done with a senior service member and he used to have a lot of what he would call daymares. And my colleague worked with him on this. While he was engaging in the artistic practice, his hallucinations and daymares, as he called, increased right? Because it's sort of like stirring up all these really difficult experiences. She helped and supported him through that, helped him see that expressing, even though activating and difficult, would eventually result in a positive outcome. So by the end of the sessions with her, his hallucinations went down, his daymares went down significantly. However, it was important to work with someone who fully understood normal and abnormal human development, human psychology, all that. So I I just wanted to put that caveat in there that that also brings us back to Mm -hmm. this very very important aspect or this very Mm -hmm. important point that you know Mm -hmm. everyone's wanting to make these days that if you Mm -hmm. have problems it's not wrong to seek help from someone who's qualified 
Absolutely. And I think I'm so glad you said that because there still is and always will be a lot of shame and stigma, unfortunately, around uh, mental health, mental illness, because it's this intangible thing, right? We don't know what to do with it. It's not like a visible, tangible, you know, physical thing like an infection or a broken, you know, this is this intangible thing. And very often mental illness is an extension of a lot of natural moods and states. So, you know, depression is an extreme version of feeling sadness, which is a natural human emotion. And I think it's very confusing and difficult because we don't know and often don't know how to accept and name some of these mental challenges when they go into the realm of clinical difficulty. So I'm so glad you brought that up. Yes, thank you so much for stressing on this point, because I think it's very important considering the times we are living in right now. Absolutely, absolutely. And so to go back to your question about anger management, you know, when I used to work with youth who had Mm. behavioral problems, this was exactly what we would do. Many of them would uh, sort of lash out or punch their tables or hit their class. And this is high energy. What is anger? Anger at its root is really energy and action. So how can we channel that? You can channel that in a lot of physical activities like Mm. sports or dance or, you know, yoga, things that dispel that. But you could also use it in high energy artistic activities, Mm. you know, woodworking, metalworking, working with clay, things that can take that energy into something productive and constructive rather than something destructive. But again, it has to be facilitated and supported by someone if the individual doesn't have that sense of awareness and Mm. self-control to really say, you know what, I feel this anger and violent urge bubbling up in me. Let me not take it out on the humans around me. Let me take it out in a way that is helpful to me and constructive and productive in the world. So just leading off from this last point that you made, can you then break down the neurological process of achieving satisfaction or Mm -hmm. gaining happiness through art? Yeah, oh gosh, there's so many dimensions to this, right? So Mm -hmm. I think of this on a continuum. And I'm as I'm talking to you, I'm looking out of my window and I see the trees in my backyard and the sun is shining through them. And it's beautiful. Just seeing that natural beauty helps me feel a sense of peace and satisfaction and safety. At a very basic level, art is about allowing ourselves to feel safe, and Mm. to pay attention and to notice the beauty around us because there's beauty around us all the time if we stop and pause and notice that. There's beauty in in the sun shining through. There's beauty in a little bug on the ground. There's beauty everywhere. To notice that is to allow ourselves to feel joy and to feel a sense of connectedness. You know, I'd heard a beautiful quote by someone who said, you know, to look at nature is to look at millions of years of evolution and to recognize that some things have existed for a really long time and how tremendous is that. So that's one aspect of art and so much of art is inspired by nature. The other piece is that, and there's there was a recent study that came out, I was just reading about it yesterday, where artificial intelligence program had figured out how to predict people's artistic preferences. So what they did was they had people look at different artistic genres, select what they like, and based on that, the program could predict what they would like 
like in the future? Would they like Impressionism? Would they like Cubism? Would they like modern art? Would they like something else? So we have our preferences. So we're all drawn to certain types of visual, I'll speak to visual forms. To see that is again to feel a sense of joy and connectedness that here is a piece perhaps done by someone I don't know in a different time, in a different place. And yet that person's experience somehow reflects something of mine. All I believe is a way to connect us to each other and feel a little less lonely and a little less isolated in the world. Each of these is a way to belong and a way to connect. At the neurological level, I think there's several things. There's the satisfaction and joy of sort of certain compositions and visual forms which our brains are have preferences for. So our brains like certain types of symmetry. They like variation. They like patterns. All these things, when they come together in our preferred visual form, will bring us joy. That is how I see it. I stressed on isolated because that's the buzzword of the year now, of the last year and a half. So considering the situation that the pandemic has brought about, Mm -hmm. could you suggest some tools or means that people Mm -hmm. can use for art as therapy? Yeah. um, So I spoke about it a little bit last time where I said, Mm. you know, go, you know, reflect back and think on what is it that you enjoy? Everyone, if you think hard enough, has something that they were really drawn to. Think back to your school days. Mm. Did you enjoy writing? Did you enjoy poetry? Did you enjoy drawing? Did you enjoy making music? Did you enjoy dancing? Did you enjoy just sort of being out in nature and noticing things? What if you just sort of went out and looked up at the sky and looked up at the clouds, allowed your mind to wander and do nothing? I mean, simply allowing yourself to be and to notice, to give ourselves a break. That's step one. And I <laughs> I would challenge all your listeners, everyone has something that is an expressive form that they could go back to and build on that. I would also suggest, see if you can find a community. Sometimes it helps to, you know, say you, you enjoyed woodworking or working mm-hmm. with natural materials as a kid. See if you can find an online community. And there's online communities for all Everything, these things. yes. And you see, there's, there's an online community that you could be part of. There's YouTube video tutorials that you could do. Give yourself a task of making something for someone else. That I find is usually great motivation. Mm. If we can think about what we do as a gift or as an offering to someone else. Make a meal for someone else. Make uh, something for someone else's home. Make something for someone's birthday and anniversary. All this helps us get outside of our own kind of ruminative cycles in our brain. And ideally, when you give this to someone, it builds a connection with them as well. Nothing like reducing isolation, if you can think of some way to give. It could even be, you know, to a charity, you know, can you make something that you give to a charity? And not just, you know, giving a donation, but actually making or doing something for someone. It's interesting that you should bring this up because if you go by what you see online, on social media, so many Mm -hmm. other platforms today, there is this big movement or this big, you know, community of people Mm -hmm. who have gotten together to uh, make meals for people who are suffering from COVID, run crowdfund campaigns, reach out as small communities to do so many kinds of things. So yeah, I guess it's already started and I hope the listeners who are listening into this podcast actually take into account the things you are saying and if Mm -hmm. they're not doing it already, then contribute in some way or pitch in in some way to all these wonderful things that are happening at this very, very difficult time in life right now. 
It is. And I don't, by no means am I minimizing, you know, it's incredibly difficult. We all know someone who's lost a family member or a friend in the most tragic of ways. And especially with COVID, you can't even be with someone who's grieving. Consider ways to support each other as best we can through this time. Thank you so much for, again, a very, very interesting session. I must say a very special word of thanks to you for addressing all these questions that came in from our listeners. So thank you, Dr. Girja Kaimal. It's been a pleasure once again to have you on this podcast. Oh, I am so happy to do this. Thank you so much.